You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains. DLTs and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we are joined by Alex Kioki, who is the chief product officer at Pagoda, which is the primary research and development company for the Near Protocol ecosystem. Near is a layer one blockchain that seeks to become a blockchain operating system for the open web. With that, Alex, a very warm welcome to the show from both Nikhil and myself. Hey, good to be here with you guys. Warm welcome, Alex. So, uh, to start off, Alex, could you tell our audience a little bit about your background, uh, how you got interested in crypto and blockchain, and how your journey has been so far? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, really, my uh, my professional journey as a as a product person, and I'm I'm a career product person. Uh, started at LinkedIn. So I was working there, and I, I was uh, kind of building new prototypes uh, for different experiences. Um, and it was a really awesome environment to just learn how businesses functioned and economic graphs come to be. And from that, I, I had a, a chance to work at Microsoft after we were acquired, which was, um, you know, a great experience in in building developer ecosystems and platforms. And ultimately, uh, I got into crypto after I um, sold my AI startup, which uh, coincidentally was using a, a library of technology that Ilya, who's the founder of Near, um, had had authored at at Google. We did not know each other at that time, but it's a pretty funny coincidence um, that you know years later we would end up working together. And it really came for me. Um, actually, at a virtual pandemic dinner, I had a, a, a great friend of mine who's an awesome entrepreneur, early Bitcoiner, early uh, Ethereum contributor, who just started talking to me um, around 2019 about you know the future of the internet and commerce and how there could be um, you know new security and efficiencies that come from trustless systems. And for me, I, I have to do everything by first principles research. Like as much as I trusted this person, I, I and he's still a good friend. I, I needed to go read about it. So I started reading uh, the Bitcoin white paper and Ethereum white papers, and, and and searching, and kind of got involved in a few different communities, and really found myself just stumbling into the deep end of just this beautiful uh, environment of very smart, futuristic thinking people that frankly I had felt, um, you know, being in Silicon Valley for seven, eight years was starting to fade a little bit in the web two movement. And it reminded me of that similar energy again, as if I I started years before as an early product manager and these really inspired people um, were just like very welcoming. And I I started being an open source contributor to to ETH2 and helping testing some validator node concepts in early test nets and, doing some market making for early chains. Um, I actually had a background in uh, sales operations and, and markets before that. So I was able to put some of those skills to use for those communities. And, and I just had so much fun for a good six, seven months just as an independent contributor. 
And that's where I actually found my way to, to Kraken um, Exchange. Uh, they had always been really involved in the different crypto communities and, and the people there uh, had some of the executives have been there since like the beginning of Bitcoin. And I really wanted to to make this a part of my full-time journey of, uh, in my career. And I felt like I had really found a great tribe of people. So I wanted to learn from from these OGs and work with, I, I think, some of the best contributors to the crypto economy. And so I just sent a cold application to, to Kraken Exchange as a, as a product manager, they, they saw my resume and said, hey, you're, you know, fairly qualified. Do you actually want to join us to, to be a uh, product strategy director and help us think about building new products within crypto and working with new uh, communities and helping us unlock new markets? And I said, absolutely. And uh, the timing on that ended up being uh, very, very interesting. It was right before the, the last... Um, bull market and uh, the bull market hit and I quickly found myself uh, managing you know, all, all of the product management teams, uh, really helping build out crypto experiences for consumers, for prosumers. So those are people with a little bit more money and financial sophistication um, for institutions, professional traders, and a, a few new outside bets on you know, NFTs and, and uh, kind of social experiences around crypto. And it was just an incredible, incredible journey with, uh, again, just really, really passionate folks. Um, but as part of that, of course, I, I got uh, a lot of exposure to different uh, communities. And I worked on Bitcoin Lightning uh, launching and I, with my team. And I worked on Polkadot Parachains and, of course, ETH2 staking again. And this one, um, you know, altcoin kind of hit our, our group and it was, uh, it was near. And I remember seeing it and, and reading the white paper again. I, I really believe in, in researching these things from first principles. And I was very impressed, of course, you know, with, with their sharding technology and kind of this really highly efficient, scalable approach. Um, but at the same token, like I had seen like a bunch of, you know, Ethereum killers, so to speak. Like there's, there's, there were so many different chains at the time that were kind of expressing that. But the thing that really captivated me was actually their uh, intent towards usability and their intent towards building out the easiest experiences for developers and users. And ultimately, um, I saw um, some really, really just interesting people who had had um, you know, similar journeys of, of, of myself with, with uh, AI and eventually going to crypto. And um, you know, time went on and... Um, they actually ended up uh, reaching out to me as I was taking some time after, after being with Kraken. And uh, we, we built a relationship um, and we started talking about a concept uh, called the blockchain operating system. And I, I joined uh, Ilya's uh, office of founders uh, before joining as chief product officer of Pagoda, which is really the um, primary, one of the primary R&D contributors to uh, the near protocol. Um, so that's 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 you know really been my journey as a as a professional into the crypto space, and now I, I see, you know, my full time focus on on really helping build out this this usability layer, decentralized usability layer to the internet that we call the blockchain operating system. Uh, cool. Uh, just a couple of things that uh, of note. It's interesting that you mentioned. Uh, you had uh, built an AI startup and then sold it. And uh, you mentioned Alex's 
sorry, Ilya's paper, isn't it? Uh, was it the paper on all you need is attention? The transformer paper? No, it was actually not that. It was, um, it's really funny. He's had multiple contributions. That's that's the one that uh, is most noteworthy. That, right that's the one that's of the kind L of uh, yeah, famous the LLM. Now, right? <laughs> yes, yes, of course. No, it was a it was a library that he it was a Python library um, ah. uh, for TensorFlow. <laughs> ah, okay. So cool. yeah, Ilias had many contributions to the AI space. It's it's like yeah, it's pretty yeah. amazing. I mean, it's it's interesting to think, right? You pivoted out of AI and. Now the the cycle is almost turned around again. It's uncanny, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, I also wanted to kind of elaborate. So when you say you are the chief product officer of Pagoda, is that a separate company from the Near Foundation? Uh, is that okay, can you elaborate a little on what that that entity is? Yeah. In fact, I, th I think it would be great, uh, Alex, if you could just differentiate between you know what is the Near Protocol and like like you mentioned, you know you you got drawn towards the protocol because of its intent towards usability for developers and users. And so if you could just, you know, describe for our audience, what is the near protocol? What is Pagoda? And in what capacity you're functioning in, in this ecosystem? Yeah, ab absolutely. Happy, happy to cover that. So maybe I'll just start with, you know, the history of near protocol uh, a little bit more. And uh, we, could, we could definitely get into the Pagoda and usability so uh, Near Protocol was originally started in 2017 from uh, Ilya and uh, Alex Skidanov, a, a different Alex, not me. Um, and it was originally Near.ai. And um, they learned about you know, smart contracts and cryptocurrency while trying to, to build out a means of uh, basically uh, paying you know, some of the uh, AI contributors. Uh, that were in just a bunch of different regions. And they really didn't have at that time, especially like just very good options for helping facilitate that sort of community work towards building this general intelligence AI company. In their fashion, I mean, they're both just like such incredible architectural thinkers. They, of course, researched every blockchain out there and how, how they worked and, and, you know, developed just out of their own need, just a, a much faster, simpler, and cheaper blockchain um, to serve their own need. And it ended up having such a great architecture and scalable approach that it started just getting interest of other people to just like work on it. And, and people wanted to, to be a part of it. And they realized that there's like maybe something here. And so they pivoted. And they, you know, took a really keen focus again towards towards usability and, and the, you know, the user experience, the developer experience, you know, in the history of Nier, they very quickly went into to making it available on JavaScript. Originally, it's Rust-based JavaScript, obviously being a much more accessible coding language for, you know, 15 million plus developers that are out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, the focus of the Nier wallet, uh, which is, you know, sunsetting soon, but the near wallet was available just, you know, through a browser, had uh, email recovery methods built into it, and was just a far easier way for a user to get started than, you know, downloading a bunch of, of, of software. And those were some of the things that, you know, I noticed, again, early on when I was, a, I would say, a, a fan and observer of near in my previous role. Um, to the point about Pagoda um, and the Near ecosystem and Near Foundation. 
So the Near Foundation's job is is quite different from from Pagoda, which is a separate company. Um, they're really trying to help facilitate the a- autonomous nature of the network, helping uh, with grants for uh, contributions to the Near Protocol and different pieces of technology, helping with uh, I would say understanding of Near Protocol and and its purpose, and of course um, you know they're they're involved as well in um, having an opinion about the overall blockchain space and and the legal sector. Um, Pagoda is you know quite different. We're a public goods, open source research and development organization. So we're mostly engineers. Um, we have some product people and designers too. And we contribute a lot to the protocol, as well as a bunch of services that run on the protocol, from uh, indexers to uh, search systems, RPCs, uh, going up the stack. You know, there are uh, a few smart contracts that uh, we, we have made open source in the SDKs uh, around building smart tra- contracts and, and tokens uh, issuance and NFT issuance. We also contribute to what we call gateway technology, which is the decentralized front end. So the place where JavaScript, HTML, and CSS are being hosted. And uh, we also have contributions uh, to onboarding systems like our fast authentication framework, uh, which we're about to release an SDK for, which allows for kind of um, a user to create uh, an account on the near blockchain in a, in a few seconds with a fully, fully non-custodial and decentralized email recovery. So that's kind of the difference there. Of course, there are a lot of other like really great projects within the near ecosystem, fairly um, sizable companies like Aurora for running EVM, uh, smart contracts, Solidity contracts on near network, which basically, you know, makes Ethereum a lot cheaper, faster, easier, kind of like a little bit of like a layer two. There's uh, Proximity who works on, on DeFi, um, Sweat, which has kind of a consumer game application. There's, I mean, there's hundreds of projects that and companies that are involved. I think that that's a very good explanation of you know what the protocol is, the foundation, and Pagoda as the research and development. Um, and uh, I think I think that gives a very good overview of what the ecosystem looks like. So I think let's quickly jump into how the protocol itself actually works, Alex. So uh, let's start off with some of the basic aspects of the protocol. So we know that for consensus, uh, near uses the DPoS uh, consensus mechanism, uh, and you use a block generation scheme called Doomslug, and you also use a scaling technique of uh, dynamic sharding. So could you, for our audience, uh, explain from a top-level perspective how the near protocol works, how it achieves a block finality time of one to two seconds, and how it's different from some of the other protocols that are out there? Yeah, absolutely. So again, at, at a high level, near protocol is a proof of stake consensus, so not proof of work, right? Like um, Bitcoin is, so it's it's about these individual um, network validators uh, that have uh, staked near that you know they can be slashed if they don't process transactions correctly by the consensus mechanism. The innovation, though, on that is, and there are you know, quite a few shard, uh, quite a few, excuse me, proof of stake networks that are out there. The innovation, though, is is in sharding. And there are a few different ways to approach sharding. And for those that are may or may not be 
As familiar, sharding uh, really actually gets its origins from database technology, which Alex uh, Skidinoff was uh, at MemSQL and was very, very familiar with building like very high parallel processing transaction database systems. And, you know, the, the, the idea here is that you don't um, have to take an entire transaction um, on its own, uh, but there can be actually in the primary network, there can actually be subchains that regularly get uh, connected with one another. And this is the doom slug uh, technique. And the idea behind doom slug, and, and I'm definitely not um, <laughs> the primary author of this, so I'm going to give like a very high level explanation of it, is that it has a kind of network-based randomness variable for, for chunks of these transactions that allow for security uh, as well as uh, continuous parallelization of, of, these, of these chunks, um, which is actually why NIR has something quite unique uh, in that you can be uh, not just a validator, but a chunk operator in which you can um, validate a piece of a block, not just the block itself. Um, and you can actually run a much lower spec machine to be able to do that. Um, so, you know, the fundamental uh, approach here is, you know, really mostly only uh, restricted by uh, the network speed of the validator's ability to uh, communicate across uh, chunks within a shard itself. Right. A uh, couple of things over there. One, one is you said we are using obviously a de delegated proof of stake mechanism, and that's the economic uh, hmm? model, uh, which is basically you can give your tokens to other people who've got uh, and delegate your stake. How does it actually uh, result in a fast finality time? Does it is it is it using something like Casper's uh, finality gadget or? Uh, how does actually near a company because it's it's a like you said right just now it's it's literally gated by the speed of the network itself so uh, that's quite quite impressive so do you have any idea of how how that uh, fast finality actually works uh yeah so at a high level what happens is the validators take turns producing blocks rather than competing directly based on the stake itself. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so that allows for kind of the uh, more operational efficiency at the consensus layer, which means there is less network overlap, which, which allows for faster right. um, finality. And, it's, and it's, the, it's the randomness algorithm in Doomslug of who that validator is that ensures security. Right. So, so this uh, this randomness algorithm, uh, I'm assuming you mentioned it is something to do with the uh, size of the network, right? It's not like a standard crypto randomness uh, algorithm, is it? Uh, I don't think it is standard. I'll be honest with you. I don't know all of the details behind no, 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 the yeah. exact uh, mathematical uh, model. Uh, right. how, however, I do know that the more validators that are involved, as well as with the addition of these chunk-based validators, which is special in its own right, that um, the 
randomness is extremely hard, if not nearly impossible to predict based off of, um, you know, increasing size of the validator network. Right. Uh, maybe uh, just so that I can get it clear in my mind, let me kind of uh, recap my understanding and then maybe you can sure. tell me if it's... Uh, so So the way I understand it essentially is that... Uh, you have multiple shards. Uh, there is no limit to the number of shards, uh, and it is dynamic, right? So you can uh, uh, you can put uh, you can join shards together or split them apart depending on how much how much tra- how much transactional load is happening, uh, and and that uh, basically the chunks essentially are uh, sets of transactions uh, that happen in one shard, and a chunk producer. Uh, essentially is a user that's focused uh, or a validator uh, or, a, or a block producer that is focused only on one shard. So they uh, the chunks essentially are uh, sets of transactions within one shard that are then joined together uh, logically into a block. And uh, the block producer essentially is uh, looking at these groups of chunks as blocks and then validating the whole as, uh, as validating it as a whole. And uh, the uh, Randomness, uh, randomizing algorithm not only, uh, picks, uh, which validator will do the validation of the block. It also kind of randomly circulates or rotates validators amongst different shards. So they basically get different views, uh, of the, uh, of the chunks that they are, uh, validating. I mean, depending on the algorithm. And, uh, this is also one of the reasons why it is, uh, considered secure because at any point in time, no validator has a clear idea of which shard they, the which chunks and which shard they will be validating, and and that's that's kind of uh, one of the security models is there. So this is basically then there is this uh, the doom slug mechanism. Uh, essentially, is uh, the randomness thing, and also kind of a uh, it ensures that a block is basically approved. Uh, within that one second uh, interval so that you have a sequential set of blocks happening. And and that once a, uh, once a block is finalized, it's not like you require to wait until the next uh, X number of blocks. Uh, once it's final, it is final, and there is no, uh, no need to actually wait for uh, other blocks to be added for it to be finalized. Um, am I kind of getting uh, over? Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's correct. Yes. And I think, you know, the, w- the one thing I would add in addition to that is what's very cool is on, on the note of, of dynamic resharding is that shards can actually be assigned into like use cases that have, I, I would say, resonance of transactions that efficiency could be achieved from. So example, you know, Aurora EVM is is a shard right on on the near network. It has a dedicated shard because it has so much traffic it has to take on. Okay, and that's how it's able to it continue to maintain efficiency by by using only a smaller dynamic section of uh, of the network rather than having to do the entire network itself. Right? So 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 there is an additional mechanism that kind of allows you to group or create shards by uh, use case. That's right. So that that's that's also you mentioned Ethereum, and that's that's another thing I just kind of wanted to kind of quickly get into a little bit is that uh, Nia basically touts this uh, concept of a rainbow bridge, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That's a bridge between Ethereum and Nia, 
which is a fast way to get transactions visibility across both the blockchains. Is that also maintained by Aurora and that's also, is that part of the, uh, the shard that they're working on uh, or is that separate from the EVM concept? No, that's, that's the same. Yeah, that's maintained by Aurora. Um, and, and that's part of, part of their shard. Okay, cool. So essentially when you say that, okay, we have, uh, Aurora and there is this EVM mechanism uh, that allows you to run Solidity smart contracts. Uh, it can be literally smart contracts on Ethereum, but using this rainbow bridge, they have access to, um, the data and the, uh, resources of the near product, near, near blockchain as well. That's right. Yep. And transfers to near and Aurora can take about, you know, 10 minutes, um, on the outside, um, which is okay. pretty, pretty good if you think about Ethereum world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So to move a little uh, forward, obviously the next thing that you would need to think about when you're trying to build uh, on uh, Nier as a developer is the uh, the model uh, for which uh, of in on which the transactions are done, right? So uh, traditionally there are a couple of models out there. One is basically the model that is adopted by uh, Bitcoin and all of that, uh, all of those networks. Uh, which is basically the address and, uh, your, the, the, you just have the transactions, uh, tied to your address. And you also have the, uh, model that is adopted in uh, Ethereum, which is essentially the account model where you have, uh, not only just the address and transactions, you also have additional information, uh, that you can, uh, put in and there's this account and you can settle transactions between accounts. Uh, what is Nier's account model and, uh, how, how does, uh, the dynamics, uh, the, or the token, token, uh, Nier token play, uh, in this particular world, right? So how, how would I kind of set myself up to transact on Nier blockchain? Yeah, absolutely. So Nier's account model is, is very interesting and also fairly unique as well. So in near you can have uh, a human readable account name. Um, so right. for example, on near.org, I have, um, you know, Kiyoki, uh, dot near, and you can literally go actually to near.org and search for me and you'll find, um, my account there. I guess Alex.near was already taken by the other Alex. It was, it was taken by the co-founder. <laughs> Alex, get it up. That's right. That's right. But, uh, nonetheless, it's, it's, it's human readable, right? It's, you know, at kiyoki.near, uh, in my right. case. And what's really interesting, though, is that there are two unique elements. So beyond that, we have basically multiple keys that can be associated to a given account. And the account model really has not much of a limit in terms of the, subsidiary keys that can be there because the second element is that every account is also a smart contract, right? Um, which is fairly unique. So it allows for a lot of composability uh, for this kind of atomic unit in your uh, network of what, what can be done with an account. So a, a few examples of like how we've put this into work, um, you might uh, take um, something like a, an MPC approach to uh, account recovery that can happen you know natively on the the account uh, because 
accounts are smart contracts and you can have those um, sharded keys um, associated with a given account uh, directly without having to have like a, another layer, which is great. You can also, you know, do things uh, like we have a, a product in our ecosystem called KeyPalm where each key is actually the beginnings of, a, a, of another account. So there's a smart contract that can create other smart contract accounts that have uh, a key with limited use of gas that's on it. Right. So you can give a trial account to somebody. Um, other really interesting things around that as well is, is that um, you can actually transfer accounts to other people. So uh, there was a back, back, it's still actually active, but there was a, a project, part of their AI project called Near Crowd, where the accounts there had uh, a specific access to uh, be one of these AI um, um, image validators. It was a paid position for, for folks, a lot of folks in like the Philippines and Russia to validate mm -hmm. AI um, image labeling. And those accounts were designated, um, you know, kind of whitelisted. And uh, people were actually like, after they made, you know, kind of enough money that they wanted, uh, they were they were trying to sell those accounts <laughs> to hmm. and able to transfer them to other people because you know it, it's actually a smart contract, a smart contract. Uh, underneath, right? Um, so you can you can kind of see this. You know, what one of the reasons why even that story was appealing to me was um, you know, I was a huge World of Warcraft player, and I, I had a character that was very geared out and like selling your account in a video game. Uh, uh, on a centralized system, it was actually seen as like kind of a gray market activity. Yeah. Um, and transferring an account to somebody is really, really difficult. But if World of Warcraft had used, you know, near account model, they could have had a very like dynamic economy there as well. Um, you know, still waiting for somebody to do something like that. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I, I remember World of Warcraft, I think uh, it used to be all of these uh, eBay transactions that you had to do and. Uh, you weren't ever sure that whether you're going to get scammed or not and all that. Right. Uh, and then uh, I, I never could figure out why uh, uh, EA did not actually, the parent company did not actually, Blizzard, uh, that's the one, uh, Blizzard did not actually uh, look at that as an opportunity and kind of build on that. So yeah, uh, Alex, so that's great. So we've got an account model. Uh, I've got an account model and I, I understand how the transactions work and uh, uh, the account can become a smart contract. That's great because I can upload my code there. Uh, so how do I actually build on here? So is, uh, do I just, is the account enough or do I need to do something else? Is there SDKs? Can, can you give me an overview of how you, as a developer, I would onboard onto Nier? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few ways to get started and it really depends on um, what you want to do. Uh, if you want to start building smart contracts, minting tokens, um, minting NFTs, the best thing to use is, is, is our SDK. Um, we have two SDKs, one for Rust, uh, one for JavaScript. There are you know, performance benefits for using one versus the other versus simplicity, I would say. The Rust environment, um, just by the nature of Rust as a as a coding language, language is is much more, you know, un understandable for for security. There's not virtualization involved, and that's where if you want to build like really hardcore, 
DeFi use cases, maybe, you know, utilizing lots of, of value of transaction um, across, you know, the Aurora bridge into the Ethereum world, you know, that, that would probably be the best place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, that said, you know, JavaScript, you, you can do financial transactions with. I, I, and it, it is, you know, been audited and it is much easier to use, though, as, as in JavaScript. There's just, you know, as, as with any developer would face, you know, just some security trade-offs to be aware with. And, and maybe depending on the size of your transactions, you know, if you're trying to move billions of dollars or something, I, we might recommend you use Rust instead of JavaScript, right? Um, but I think most people end up getting started with, with the JavaScript SDK from uh, docs.near.org. You would, uh, you know, create an account and uh, load up the SDK. And if you already have Node.js installed, it's pretty fast to, to get going. Cool. Um, and there's some examples in, in the documentation there. Now, that's, you know, kind of the traditional side of, of blockchain development and near. The other side in which we're very excited about um, is look at going actually straight to near.org and our, our sandbox there, which is a hosted sandbox, which allows you to create front-end uh, components. And you can also use like our VS Code extension. And what gets really powerful here is, is that you can actually start doing full-stack JavaScript, um, similar to you know what full-stack development was like with, with React and Node and Web2. You can have fully decentralized applications where your your HTML, your JavaScript, your CSS is all being hosted and, and deployed by a decentralized blockchain network. And you can write these smart contracts, right, for your backend type transactions, um, all in JavaScript, um, all in VS Code. And uh, there's a lot of advantages to, to, to doing that. Uh, in in the sense that you're actually able to have composable front-end experiences that are reusable in any place that can host a, a line or two of JavaScript. So you could build a component similar roughly to like a React component approach and uh, deploy it. You know, let's say if you're a IT uh, developer who wants to build a loyalty program in a multi-brand environment, you can deploy it for one brand um, instantly clone uh, or uh, clone it, fork it, and you know change the uh, branding pieces and have it work Id- identically for let's say you know NFT minting in another brand in, in your conglomerate. So it's really 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 fast to to build a, a full stack decentralized uh, experience. So so one quick question on that. So where do you actually deploy this? Would that be on the near.org? servers or would it be directly as on the the, the front end i mean would, would that be something that you run on your server and connect to the near protocol backend uh, how, how does that work how, yeah how does this work for sure um so i may be taking a bit of a step back um near is really you know we've talked a lot about the protocol but the protocol is one layer of our blockchain operating system stack right and what I just described is what we call the the decentralized front end layer, which is discovery, mm-hmm. and that is a smart contract, a series of smart contracts that run on the near blockchain. Okay, and then you have a few different what we call gateways or access points to that smart contract. So one of the gateways is near.org. 
we kind of think of it as like the vanilla Android experience, right? It's the sample experience that you can fork from. Right. Within it is a component system. Uh, you can also just fork the whole gateway itself. And if you go to something like boss.gg or near, near.social, those are all forks of the entire gateway um, that includes right this this smart contract for the decentralized front end. So there's there's a database called Social DB that is part of the near uh, social smart contract, mm-hmm. and it it is hosted on the near blockchain. And so when you're deploying um, these components on the front end, that that's essentially where you're going down the stack, right, from the smart contract to the database to to the near blockchain right. itself. Okay, so I can basically so I can set up my fork of the near gateway and uh, basically then that kind of connects into the near protocol do, do i need to be running any node uh, a near protocol node or can i just directly take uh, a public node and connect to the uh, smart contract through that yeah so um depending on how you want to do it um the easiest experience is just you know completely hosted is on near.org or uh, near social has it as well. And there you don't have to run a node, you don't have to run an RPC, you don't have to run anything. You just write JavaScript, like a, similar to like yep. a code pen environment, right? Yep. Um, and so that's probably the easiest way to get started. Um, if you want to go, you know, full ownership, you, you can run a node from, you know, your local machine. You can also run uh, an RPC and you can through VS code have both, you know, your JavaScript SDK for the smart contracts, as well as the discovery component system, all just, you know, hosted within your own environment. If you, that's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Of complete control, but uh, obviously a little bit more difficulty. Cool. So just to quickly, just to quickly jump in, one question that I had was actually about, you know, you mentioned discovery, right? So is there a mechanism for, let's say somebody is building an app on, on the near ecosystem, can it be listed on, you know, a popular uh, app store like the iPhone app store, uh, Google Play app store, or uh, how do you go about distribution, you know, like for, for customers to actually use your product? Great, great question. Um, and this, is, this is something pretty unique here that um, I, I don't think has actually been <laughs> achieved before, but um, what you described are, are kind of the traditional centralized means of application distribution, right? So it's centralized through Apple App Store or Google Play Store. And really, right, if, if you do that, you're kind of, you're going to trade off distribution for centralization. And with the centralization comes an economic model, which is not always aligned with the needs of the developer, right? I mean, we've seen this with Apple um, issues in the gaming industry, uh, with financial companies, with, you know, Meta, um, and Google, you know, certainly has its share of, you know, potentially privacy issues you might see in Android distribution, right? And that's what you accept, right? For the ability uh, of people to discover your experience, right? Right. Um, what we have here, which we're really excited about, is where we think distribution and decentralization don't have to be a trade-off. They can actually aid each other. And there's a few ways in which that happens. So the first is, is if you build a component or an app on near.org, 
that, that, that is a website that, that gets, you know, traffic in the millions per month. Um, and there's a very easy search that you could do there. If you, you know, type in uh, one of my favorite apps that somebody's built is a 3D game, actually a 3D game that renders on blockchain uh, called uh, 3D chess, uh, laser chess, 3D laser chess. And if you type that in, you could just search instantly and start playing that game. It's actually faster than like downloading an app. And it can get going. And then because it's built on this uh, discovery layer that we just described, that same component can be embedded with a few lines of JavaScript in any interface that can run JavaScript, anything. Uh, it could be an app. It could be another company's uh, website, not just yours, but another company's website. It could be your own website. It could be uh, a smart refrigerator. You know, it, it basically allows you, because the hosting network is a public network, right? It's, it's a blockchain. Anything that can call to this blockchain network can become uh, a, a distribution channel. And so we, we, we no longer think like it's a trade-off that you have to have. Can I use another kind of blockchain? Well, not exactly a blockchain technology, but another distribution protocol like IPFS to maybe host my files and uh, connect to uh, to near. Yes, uh, yeah. I, I, I think that that would be like one of those things, right? Because every time uh, I hear that, okay, you need a gateway or a, it's all it's all code for a centralized bottleneck, right? And uh, one of the things I think uh, in the Web3 story that we kind of sometimes neglect is that there are these uh, other uh, protocols out there. Uh, ActivityPub is famous now because of Mastodon and uh, IPFS is another one uh, that are not necessarily, you know, consensus-based blockchains, but uh, give you that kind of, a similar kind of an experience of a decentralization uh, uh, which is basically what we're trying to look for, right? Uh, from, from one of the value, uh, values that, uh, building a decentralized app, like you very correctly pointed out, Alex, is the, uh, freedom from the economic models that are imposed on a developer by large companies like Apple and, and Google. Right. And, uh, we know that uh, we, as much as we would like to think that Nier is a benevolent uh, entity, uh, when you say that you have to go through Nier.org or thing, it's the the thing. Immediate point is, oh, okay, that's that's a no, benevolent yeah, dictator. Just, <laughs> no, 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 yeah, yeah, that's totally fair, and and something that we've been very, very conscious of. You do not have to go through Nier.org. You can run your own gateway. Okay. You do not you. You, you, it is, it's just, a, we, we have it there for convenience so people can try things as a developer. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the barrier to entry of, of, of running your own gateway is a, is a little higher, but you, don't, you do not have to use near.org. Um, you don't even actually have to run your own gateway. Yeah. Um, you just need to be able to access the near blockchain and uh, the near social smart contract for discovery. Yeah, but because we, we totally recognize what you're saying. And the way I look at it, right, is the convenience that we offer is so that people can learn how it works. If you want to truly embrace, right, decentralization and distribution, it's all open source, right? Fork, fork yeah. our gateway, which we have 
which we have optimized, by the way, for mobile web. If you go to near.org on your mobile web browser, your Chrome browser, Safari browser, it is very, very easy to use. And the design is as simple or good as any, you know, web two social network that's out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and, you know, I used to work at LinkedIn. So <laughs> I have some familiar of working, working with that. You can copy that, enjoy that design and distribute um, on any other website that you want on the internet um, or anything that can run JavaScript. Cool. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. So, so uh, talking about uh, this, I uh, just wanted to move forward into uh, another thing, uh, which is basically the future, right? So, it is twenty twenty three. Near started in uh, you said twenty seventeen, right? And uh, there have been. Uh, I mean, you, Near has very famously kept its roadmap public, and uh, so we know that uh, we are coming close to a lot of big milestones, and obviously. Pagoda is focused on on the developer experience. Uh, maybe you could give us an, uh, a brief uh, uh, look into what's next, uh, at least immediate, and then maybe medium term, maybe a couple of years, in terms of uh, what is uh, Nier's roadmap and what's exciting for you at Pagoda. Yeah, absolutely. There's just <laughs> there's many things. I guess uh, the, probably the best place to start is, of course, to to talk about some of the protocol roadmap. So we're, we're I mean, we've we've published this out uh, over the course of, you know, uh, I think it was a few months ago about what we think the next few years looks like for the protocol, and um, really uh, what we want to continue to to build out on is uh, multi-contract uh, accounts. Um, we're doing some work on zero knowledge clients as well. Um, mm-hmm. There's some more that you will see into account modules, which we see a lot of excitement for. We, we So, you know, Nier has always been, I would say, a chain that believes in a multi-chain world and has not shied away from multiple integration points to other chains, whether it's EVMs uh, on Aurora and Ethereum or through Octopus going into Substrate and Polkadot world. We see a way, a means of through account modules and account extensions uh, for a way to uh, to actually have near accounts be able to interoperate with other chains as well at, at actually more of like an account identity level, which is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. So that that's in continuous work over you know over the next few years. Of course, we're continuing to work on sharding um, and and getting to synchronous sharding, which will have even more efficiencies. We're still not right. pushing the near network, even in its sharding state we are now with chunk chunk based sharding. Um, we're, we're still not pushing the capacity, you know, to, to anywhere near <laughs> dangerous zones. Still in single digit most times. So you right. know that's kind of a, a slow and continuous effort as we build more traffic with the network. On the other side of the equation, though, you know, go, again, well, less other side, but going up the stack. Um, we want to continue to build out a lot more of these uh, experience uh, improvements. Again, our focus is on experience. It's harnessing this highly efficient and cheap blockchain to build out this experience layer. And I think uh, a few things that are coming in the roadmap that we're excited about is our FastOff SDK. Uh, if you haven't tried FastOff, uh, go to near.org and just you know log it on your especially on your mobile phone browser through a derived key fr- from the secure chip of your phone 
uh, you face ID or Android pin or, or fingerprint to create your account in a few seconds. And there's an email uh, based recovery system that's decentralized. Um, so you, you have a non-custodial decentralized account in, in seconds. We want that to be an SDK that developers can use. Nice. Yeah, we're really excited about that one. We also want to see uh, continued experience features uh, like notifications. Um, so the ability to create uh, email-based and mobile web push notifications that come from on-chain activity. Um, so that's a really powerful re-engagement loop that, again, that you don't uh, need uh, a centralized app store's notification framework for. And, and that's, that's got a lot of uh, excitement uh, for, for our developers that we've talked to. Um, we also want to keep pushing on extending our VM that, that runs you know, this discovery experience and um, including a, a, you know, a design system and a, a much easier way to extend different libraries you want to use in conjunction with it. Um, just so so that the JavaScript development environment is as flexible as a developer needs. Um, right now, it's got some restrictions that people who have built some very complex applications have had some, some trouble with. But in the long, long term, I think, you know, we really see Near and the blockchain operating system creating a uh, a platform in which you know, a developer can just get started uh, and build an app and test with their, uh, you know, initial audiences of, you know, 100 people, a few hundred people, have uh, experiences getting feedback from them and, and be able to do, do what a developer needs to do, right, which is just iterative user feedback to building a great experience and, not, and being able to do that kind of the same way you can in Web2, but in a decentralized means utilizing mobile web uh, worth more ownership in the hands of the developer and, and data integrity for the user. Right. Uh, that sounds great. So, uh, and, uh, and uh, one thing, uh, obviously, is that uh, with all this, you know, focus that you spent, all this time you spent on, you know, the speed and performance, uh, Near definitely looks like it's got an architecture that can, uh, you know, take on the uh, adoption uh, that you can throw at it. In terms of the adoption itself, do you have any uh, overall thoughts about, uh, you know, the future of crypto adoption? Uh, what excites you about Web3, uh, you know, general trends? Do you see other, uh, you know, not just in the crypto or the blockchain space, uh, do you see this idea of Web3 kind of getting hold uh, on the larger development community. Yeah, it's it's a really fascinating time right now uh, when it comes to adoption. So, you know, I think as an industry, uh, blockchain and, and cryptocurrency, like I, I don't think we've really hit consumer product market fit. Mm -hmm. um, I think we have a lot of brilliant people, a lot of incredible technology that's been built some experiences that are starting to get very fun and unique, but nothing that you can like point to and be like, oh, here's you know, 10 million people that absolutely love this thing and it changes their life for the better on a daily basis. Like nobody has achieved that right. in, in the industry. And I think that 
has been a bit of a stumbling block with the bear market, right, for developers. I think when when developers are saying, hey, I could build like a crypto app or an NFT thing or mint a token and I can make some money, with that fast money disappearing, I think they're kind of, many developers are going back to the drawing board saying, hey, like, how do I actually embrace some of the thinking of what like Web2 uh, developers and product people think about in terms of like customer delight and e- experience uh, that keeps people around outside of these these kind of uh, economic mechanics uh, because it's not it's just simply not enough on its own. I think we've all seen that, right? Right. Um, and so where we are seeing like really interesting pockets here, and I think you know this traction has come to us after we released the blockchain operating system. So when we released it, you know, we did an announcement at ETH about an alpha test. And then we um, actually, that was our public beta. We had private alpha before that. And then we, at consensus, we like fully unveiled uh, it. And we had a bunch of, believe it or not, enterprises, uh, large Web2 enterprises, or even enterprises who missed kind of the social uh, network and e-commerce Web2 wave they were looking to revolutionize their relationship with their customers through deeper experiences in what we have been calling community commerce. So these companies, large companies, reached out to us. And, you know, we, we define this concept of community commerce as the intersection of social experiences, um, community ownership, and digitization of value, of economic value. Right, And when you bring those three things together and you build it also on a decentralized system in which the company and the users both own their data and technology, there isn't a middleman of like a, you know, a, a marketplace like eBay or a, a social network like Facebook that, you know, kind of owns the, the, the relationship, right? They're the market maker. If you, if you get rid of that and you put the two together... There is much more excitement for, for customers to actually feel like they are part of the company. They have a say in like the direction of the design of things that you may be making. They uh, feel ownership, uh, like co-ownership of the company itself. And you get faster, uh, more engaged feedback uh, from these, these users as, as the company that has been leading to just like a, a better relationship uh, between the two. And so what I think is going to happen is over the next, you know, six months to a year, some of these really savvy enterprises that are kind of, again, looking for this new competitive advantage, these, these household names are going to come out with some really cool products. And these products are going to kind of wake people up again, I believe to what is possible to be built on a decentralized network and a, and a blockchain. And, and it's all going to be underneath the hood, though. Like, you're not going to really, you know, you're not, you're not going to come in with a wallet and a seed phrase necessarily and be talking about, like, trading tokens. It's, it's going to be these experiences, again, that are, that are deeper in which the blockchain is the facilitator. And once we see those, I believe we are primed we're going to be primed within the next 12 months to see mass consumer adoption because I think people are going to get re-inspired and 
we're going to start to see people create, you know, back to this, uh, again, we talked about distribution through decentralization, start to see people create really advanced, almost like super app type experiences, something, you know, akin to like WeChat, where you have all these things come together, and it runs in your mobile web browser. And I'm able to kind of organically build out my social networking commerce with more ownership and all of these different brands and companies that have built these kind of sub experiences will be kind of like new, truly D apps, right? Truly, truly D apps, not just D apps in terms of, you know, going to blockchain, but everything from their, their, their whole tech stack. And so I think we'll see, and I, I had a talk about this at ETH Denver, a rise of these super D apps, um, you know, in the next few years. But the first step, I believe, is these, these, these you know, consumer-known brands building these experiences that re- reawaken people in the next 6 to 12 months. Cool. That sounds really exciting. And uh, looking forward to seeing um, uh, some of those announcements and uh, how uh, Near is enabling uh, these use cases. I'm conscious that it's been over an hour now. Uh, and uh, I'm conscious of your time as well, Alex. Uh, so I just wanted to thank you for having this discussion with us, for uh, introducing and talking about uh, the near protocol and the near uh, blockchains with us. Uh, and and thank you once again. Uh, excited for to see how it goes up. And just to add a couple of cents of my own, just to kind of summarize and look at this from a macro perspective, I think you know for the success of blockchain and crypto as a tech, it's extremely crucial to enable developers to be able to build real-world, meaningful applications, you know, with concepts of community commerce and social experiences, as you mentioned, and reduce the barrier to entry as much as possible to both the developers and the users. And uh, and yeah, I, I feel that with the blockchain operating system or BOS, as you say, uh, Near definitely has the right approach in that direction. So yeah, we look forward to seeing great things built on the Near protocol and all the best to your team. Oh, thanks so much, guys. It was, it was really a pleasure to speak with both of you. And I'm very appreciative of the conversation we had. Once again, that was Alex Kiyoki from Pagoda. We hope that you enjoyed this episode on the Near Protocol. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us at bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.